Well, good morning, Abundant Life. How is everyone doing today? Are you enjoying your summer? Isn't it a beautiful, beautiful summer? Isn't this a beautiful day? Isn't it good to be alive today? Yes, yes. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, and say, I'm so grateful you're alive today. Yes. Welcome to our Sandy campus, our Vancouver campus, and those of you who are joining us online, we are in a series, we're like right in the middle of a series that's based on the Beatitudes that we have called Upside Down. And we've called this series Upside Down because when Jesus came onto the scene and began teaching, he literally turned the religious world upside down with his teaching. Because Jesus, for example, in teaching the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, he said things that were in opposition to what the people had been hearing and what they had been learning. For example, Jesus was not saying in the Beatitudes how we are to be saved. He was talking about who gets saved, who's invited into the kingdom. And so who, who is Who's invited into the kingdom? Can somebody tell me? Every person is invited into the kingdom. Every person is invited into the kingdom. The question is, will you accept the invitation? And so Jesus uh, begins to describe these kinds of people who are invited. And this is an interesting part as we get into the message today. An interesting part in this whole sermon that Jesus was teaching because it's somewhat of a turning point as you'll see in just a moment. The first three Beatitudes that we looked at, blessed, makarios, divine favor, uh, that sacred delight, that envied state. Okay, that's what blessed is. We've talked about that. Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those who recognize their spiritual poverty. That's talking about our position. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And why do we mourn? Essentially, the reason we mourn is because of our sin, the, the amount of sin, the, the depth of our sin, the costly nature of our sin. It should cause us to, to mourn and to grieve deep within because my sin was very costly to me. My sin has been, is costly to me. It's costly to those around me. It's, it's costly to especially Jesus because he gave his life on the cross to pay for my sin. So that should move me to a place of mourning over the sin, the brokenness of my own heart, which then leads me to a place of meekness. And rather than than, than stand before God with a sense of arrogance or even a sense of defiance before him or a sense of pride or, or any of that stuff, I, I actually come before him with this, this deep humility, this sense of meekness because I recognize that Jesus has not dealt with me as my sins deserve. Instead, what Jesus has done is he's related to me. He's treated me with graciousness and with kindness and with mercy. And that should lead me to a place of, of meekness and, and humility before him. So that's my position before him. Okay, that's, 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 that's where I am. Now, when we come to this fourth beatitude, we find here kind of a shift that now moves us in a direction. It, it actually moves us forward. And so the beatitude we're looking at today, the fourth one in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger 
and those who thirst for what? Everybody say it. Everybody at our campuses, everybody here for, for what? For righteousness. Those who hunger and those who thirst for righteousness. And so let me just stop for just a second. As we get into this message, I want you to ask yourself, you don't have to answer out loud, you don't have to raise your hand. Just in your heart, do you hunger? Is there a hungering? Is there a thirst in your soul for righteousness? Because Jesus says, those who hunger and thirst, they'll be blessed, divine favor, rest on you, sacred delight, for they will be what? What does it say? They'll be filled. They'll be satisfied. What do we see here? If I, I would try to describe the progression that's taking place here, it's, it's almost as if we're going from roots to fruits. Okay, from roots. Everybody say roots. <laughs> to fruits. Okay, from roots to fruits. The first three Beatitudes deal with our deepest need. They are the root, okay? They're the roots of a godly life, I guess you could say. Because it's out of this awareness of our spiritual poverty. It's out of the awareness of the mourning in our heart. It's out of this meekness that we have within us because of all that we've just discussed comes this deep longing for what we do not have. And that is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for Jesus. And, and that, that life then produces the fruit. It produces the fruit of mercy. Blessed are the merciful. It pr produces the fruit of a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. It produces the fruit of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those are the next three that we're going to be looking at. So I'm just giving you a little foreshadowing of, of what's coming. This is what it produces. And then there's the eighth beatitude that, that reminds us that the person who longs for Jesus, the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, the person who recognizes all of these things, will not only be blessed by God, but will be persecuted by the world. Blessed are those who are persecuted uh, for my name's sake. And so what is this life that Jesus is calling you and me to live? What is it exactly? Well, very simply, the life that Jesus is calling for you and for me to live is, is, is this, a relentless pursuit of him. Jesus is calling us to pursue him relentlessly. He's, he's saying, pursue me, pursue my kingdom above everything else. How many of you have discovered that in your pursuit of Jesus, there are lots of other things that can distract you from your pursuit of Jesus? My goodness, I have. And, and every day we fight that battle. And so when he says to hunger and to thirst for righteousness, he doesn't, doesn't mean like you hunger for a snack. You know, it's like, oh, I just ate an hour ago, but I feel like I'm getting a little bit hungry right now. No, this is a deep, deep hunger. It's just this thirst that, that you're dying of, of thirst, this intense desire. And you know that hungering and thirsting are two of the greatest motives, right? I mean, if, if a person is really, really hungry or really, really thirsty, they'll stop at nothing in order to satisfy that hunger. Is that not true? Is that not true? Yes, they will stop at nothing if they're hungry and they're thirsty. How many of you have seen the movie Unbroken? 
Okay, not too many of you. It's, it's a, it's a, I don't typically recommend movies, but this is a great movie. It's, it's a really good movie when you think about the uh, uh, topic of, forgi- of forgiveness. But the movie Unbroken is a movie that's based on the life of, of Louis Zamperini. Zamp- Zamperini. He's a former Olympic track star who survived a plane crash in World War II over the Pacific. And then he survived 47 days drifting at sea in this raft. And then he survived more than two and a half years in a prisoner of war camp. In this movie, they're at sea. He and two other people at the time who had survived, and they'd been at sea for a number of days, and by now they're starving to death. Take a look at this. Have you ever been that hungry? (laughs) People who are hungry will do almost anything to satisfy that hunger. People who are thirsty will do almost anything to satisfy that thirst. Now, transfer that over to your spiritual self. How hungry are you? How thirsty are you? In Psalm 42, David expressed his thirst, his hunger. He says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I remember when I was um, living back in North Carolina. This is a long time ago. I was living back in North Carolina. And back in those days, I, I hunted and uh, there was a group of guys from church that I hunted, and we hunted deer. One day, I was out by myself, and I was back in the forest, and I had stationed myself next to a creek, and I was kind of tired, and so I just kind of found a little place to sit down there, and I sat down, and I just was really, really quiet. And then after a few moments had passed, I, I heard, <sighs> and I just froze. I just froze because I knew, and it was coming from behind me, so I couldn't move. And as it got closer, <sighs> and, and, and about probably 30 feet downstream beside me was this, this deer, and it was just coming through the woods. <sighs> and it stopped at the stream, and it, and it got down there, and it, and it drank the water. And every time I read this verse, my mind goes back to that moment in time. And David says, as the, as the deer pants for water, God, that's where my soul pants for you. And, and so I'm wondering, are, are you that thirsty? Are you that 
hungry. In Psalm 63, verse 1, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. You ever feel like sometime in the world in which we live today, it's dry, it's thirsting, and people are hungry, and people are starving. People are just dying of thirst, spiritually speaking. And he says, early in the morning do I seek you. I have to admit there are times I'm not that hungry to get up any earlier than what I do. I'm just not that thirsty to get up. And and so I want to come to that place. I want to come to that place where, where Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I want to know him. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. What strikes me about this, this, the reason this is so interesting to me, is that when Paul writes this, he's writing toward the end of his life. Here's a person who has spent the, 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 a good portion of his latter life pursuing God, writing for God, teaching, reaching people for the kingdom. And he says, I want to know you, God, as if he didn't already know him. I mean, who could have known Jesus better than Paul? And yet there was still this hungering and this thirsting to know him more. That's what I want. I I want you to want that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They'll be filled. Now, what does hunger say about me? Now, again, don't raise your hand. At our campuses, if you're watching online, you can raise your hand. Nobody's paying attention. Don't want to see you. But, but those of you here, don't raise your hand. But let me ask you a question. Spiritually speaking, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? What, what does hunger say about me? It says several things. Hunger is a sign of need. It's a sign of need. Whenever you are hungry, your body is telling you something, isn't it? What is your body telling you when you're hungry? Your body is telling you that it's been a while since you've eaten. You need to eat something. It's it's a sign of of need. It's the body's awareness of its own need. Jesus tells us that the ones who are blessed are the ones who hunger and they thirst for righteousness. In other words, the blessed ones are not the people who think they've already arrived. The blessed ones are not the people who don't hunger. They're not the ones who think they have it all together, but they're the people who feel their need for righteousness. They feel their need to be more like Jesus. Now, let me ask you another question. How many of you feel like you need to be more like Jesus? You can raise your hand on that one. That's safe. Okay? Because all of us do. If, if you are a follower of Jesus or if you're seeking him and, and you don't feel like you have arrived, and if you feel like you don't measure up, and if you feel like you need to be more like Jesus, can I say something to you? You're in a good place. That's a good place to be. On the other hand, if you think you have arrived, if you have somehow convinced yourself that you're good enough, if you've somehow convinced yourself that you're better than everybody else and you start looking down on other people and you're so confident in your own righteousness, I have two words for you. Wake up. And here's another two words. You're nuts. Okay? You, 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 because here's what it feels like to be a Christian. 
you know you, you, you have arrived, but, but you find yourself longing to be more and more like Christ. And you say, I wish I was further along. I, I wish I was further along, but I know I've got a long way to go. Hunger is a sign of need. Here's number two. Hunger is a sign of life. Dead things aren't hungry. Hunger is a sign of life. Let me ask you, did anyone ever have to teach you how to be hungry? No. You just came by naturally. When you were born, you, listen, babies don't have to be taught to be hungry. They're hungry because they're alive. And so if you are hungry today for Jesus, if you're hungry for, for, being, for the kingdom, it's a sign of life. It's a sign that you are alive. Charles Spurgeon made a great statement. To hunger after righteousness is a sign of spiritual life. Nobody who was spiritually dead ever did this. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you are spiritually alive. Hunger is a sign of need. It's a, it's a sign of life. Here's number three. Hunger is a sign of health. It's a sign that you're healthy. If you're hungry, what happens when you're sick physically? You lose your appetite, right? You've been sick before and you just didn't feel like eating. You lost your appetite. And that was because you, something is, is wrong. Something's wrong physically. And so apply this spiritually to yourself. If you have a deep longing to be more like Jesus, if you're hungry and thirsting after righteousness, if you have a hunger to grow in your faith, that's a great statement about your spiritual health. And the contrary is true. If you're not hungry, that's a statement of your spiritual health. The sign of spiritual health is not to feel like you've arrived, but it's this longing for more. I, I, I came across this writing uh, about a week or so ago. I'd seen it a long time ago, but it just resurfaced recently. It's entitled, I am a Christian. When I say, I am a Christian, I'm not shouting, I'm clean living. I'm whispering, I was lost, but now I'm found and forgiven. When I say, I'm a Christian, I don't speak of this with pride. I'm confessing that I stumble and I need Jesus by my side. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not trying to be strong. I'm, I'm professing that I'm weak and I need his strength to carry me. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not bragging of success. I'm admitting I have failed and need God to clean my mess. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect. My flaws are far too visible, but God believes I'm worth it. When I say I'm a Christian, I still feel the sting of pain. I still have my share of heartaches. I call upon his name. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not holier than thou. I'm just a simple sinner who received God's good grace somehow. I love that because it's, it's the mark of a, of a mature believer that feels as if he's never arrived. If you feel like you've arrived and you're blessing God to be in his presence, you know, he's blessed. Oh, I'm so blessed today. George is in my presence. No, if, 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 if you have that sense about you, you need, you need a reality check. 
Okay, hunger is a sign of need, it's a sign of life, it's a sign of health. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, they'll be satisfied. Now, all of us are on a quest for satisfaction. Everybody in this room, everybody listening, everybody at our campuses, if you're watching online, those of you here, all of us are, are on a quest for satisfaction. The question is, what is it you're seeking to give you the satisfaction that you're longing for? Because it seems that so many people today are dissatisfied. Have you noticed that? So many people today seem to be dissatisfied. I mean, maybe you even seem to be dissatisfied today. And, and, and many people are looking for satisfaction in all of the wrong places. If you think you're going to find satisfaction in achievement, you're going to be disappointed. If you think you're going to be, uh, find satisfaction in, in pleasure, then you're going to be disappointed. If you think you're going to find satisfaction in a job or a career or in money or in possessions, I'm telling you, you're going to be disappointed. You'll be disappointed. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. There's nothing wrong with money. It's nothing wrong with possessions. It's nothing wrong with having you know, pleasure in life. It's nothing wrong with a job or a career. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But if you think it's in any of those things that's going to give you the deep longing of your heart, that's where you're mistaken. And people are trying to replace that emptiness with these and many, many other things, that, and, and it doesn't satisfy. C.S. Lewis made this statement. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's a great statement. I love what Augustine said. This, this has been around. You've heard this before. Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. You see, God made you for him. You were created not only by God, you were created for God. And until you have this growing desire to, to, to be more like him through Jesus, you're always going to be missing something. There's always going to be this sense of dissatisfaction. Some people think they'll be satisfied when they get revenge or when they get even, and that doesn't satisfy either. So the $10 million question is, okay, what does satisfy? Where do you find it? Because whatever you think will satisfy you, that's what you're going to pursue. That's what you're going to chase after. And so Jesus tells us that there's, that there's one desire that will be satisfied. And he says it right here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, what is it? Righteousness. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. You'll be filled. If, if I were to ask you, why did Jesus die on the cross? What would you say? People will give a lot of answers to these questions, and a lot of those answers are correct answers. People will say, well, the reason Jesus died on the cross was to save me from my sins. The reason Jesus died on the cross was to demonstrate he loved me. The reason Jesus died on the cross was to, so that I could go to heaven. And, and all of those would be accurate answers. But I think there's something else that's central to Jesus' death on the cross, and it has to do with what we're talking about here in this, in this uh, beatitude, and that is our pursuit of righteousness. Here are a couple of great verses that help us to see that. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Everybody read the rest of this with me at our campuses right here today. Let's read the rest of this. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Here's another one, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Everybody, let's read this together. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You see, one of the reasons Jesus died for us is so that we would have this hunger and this thirst to be more like him, to pursue him, to have this hunger for him. Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, this is a very popular verse, to seek first his kingdom and his what? His righteousness, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So the question is, what's righteousness? What does it mean to be righteous? Jesus, is interesting, gives us a pretty good clue in the Sermon on the Mount as to what righteousness is when he tells us what to avoid. If, if you were to go to verse 20 in, in this uh, chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he's, he makes this statement as he's teaching. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, he says, you'll never get into the kingdom. And you think, what is that all about? I mean, who was more righteous than those guys? I mean, you could see it. It was written all over their face. So where they dressed. The robes they wore and everything about them shouted, I'm righteous, I'm righteous, I'm righteous. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that, you'll never get into the kingdom. Why? Well, it's because theirs was a self-righteousness. Theirs was a, a, a surface righteousness. Theirs was a righteousness that was, that was an outward performance for the applause of men, not the inner condition of the heart for the honor of God. And there's a big difference between those two. And people can certainly, you know, today give this outward appearance of righteousness, but their heart hasn't changed. And so we attempt to hide our own brokenness with our pride. And then we start looking down on all the people who are worse than we are. And whenever we think, you know, boy, I'm sure glad I'm not like her. You know, I'm glad I'm better than he is. Well, what's that? That's that's self-righteousness. And so what is righteousness? Most simply stated, this is the simplest way I can put it, it's being in a right relationship with God. It's being in a right relationship with God. And this relationship only comes through Jesus. In fact, not only does it only come through Jesus, he is our righteousness. Remember, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And and the word relationship is key to everything. It's key to everything and what I'm talking about today. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, as he ends this sermon in around chapter 7, verse 22, Jesus spoke these words. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons in your name? And did we do all these mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. That's a relationship term. It has everything to do with your relationship, not what you do. Now, I'm not discounting what we do because the relationship should lead to do something. But if you're counting on what you're doing, then you're counting on the wrong thing. And so this, this, basically there's three kinds of righteousness that I want to point out to you today. Blessed are those, blessed are the, uh, are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. What is it? Let me share with you what I see as three kinds of righteousness. Maybe you could say three phases of righteousness. First one, and you'll recognize these, justification. 
Justification. Justification is that definitive moment in time in the past when I made the decision to follow Jesus. There was a moment in time, there was a place in history where, where I surrendered my heart to Jesus. There was a definitive moment in time where I took this step and I stepped across the line of faith and I said, Jesus Christ, be my Savior and my Lord. There's a moment in time. And when that moment happened, then at that moment, I was justified. I was justified before God. Romans chapter 5, and those who are justified... He says, therefore, since we have been, what's that word? Justified. Justified by faith. And notice the past tense. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word justification simply means we're declared righteous or declared not guilty. You're justified. One of the easiest ways to remember what justification means is just as if I'd never sinned. Isn't that amazing? You ought to be jumping up and down, shouting hallelujah, because you know who you are. I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of doing. I know what I have done. And yet, because I've been justified, it's just as if I had never done it. Isn't that amazing? Justification. What God did when I accepted Christ, and because of what Jesus did on the cross, he took my sin and accredited it to Jesus, and he took Jesus' righteousness and he accredited it to me. And so I stand justified. Justification. But it doesn't stop there because there's the ongoing work of God's Spirit within me. And this is, I think, the hungering and the thirsting part. And so write the word sanctification. It's the ongoing process. How many of you have arrived? Raise your hand. Good. I'm happy not to see any hands. It's the ongoing process. You see, although my past salvation, although my past righteousness is marked by a definitive moment, my present is characterized by an ongoing process. I'm a work in process. Everybody at our campuses right here, turn to, turn to the person closest to you, the person that you think needs it most, and say, you are a work in process. You are a work in process. All of us are. And it's in this process that I'm living in this tension between who I am and who I am becoming, who I will be. You, you could look at it as the difference between my position and my condition, okay? That's how I oftentimes look at it. It's the difference, it's the tension that I live in between my position and my condition, okay? My, my position is I'm in Jesus, okay? Because I was justified many years ago, I was justified just as if I never sinned. I accepted Christ. That's my position. Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. That's my position. Hallelujah. I'm so grateful for that. My, my condition, on the other hand, just follow me for a day. And, and get into my mind. No, please don't get, go there. And you'll think, oh, my gosh. He couldn't possibly be a Christian. That's my condition. 
And so it's this sanctifying work that, that, that through the Holy Spirit that God is using people and circumstances and events and decisions and wrong choices, all that stuff. He's using all that stuff to, to mold me and to shape me to bring my, my condition and my position more in alignment. And that's the tension I, I, I live in. That's the tension that you live in. Romans 8.29 helps us to understand this a, a little bit. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He, number one on God's to-do list in my life is to make me more like Jesus, okay? And I know some of you are thinking, and he's got a long way to go. And, and you're right, he does. He has a long way to go. But guess what? I can say the same thing about you. We all do. And so it's, it's at this point of justification that all of my sin, it didn't disappear, okay? Justification, all of my sin didn't disappear. It, it was the penalty of sin that was removed, not the presence of sin. Our old sinful nature still remains, and, and, and we wrestle with that. We struggle with that. I mean, it's, it's cruel. <clears throat> it's cruel how we enter into relationships and and how when somebody disappoints us, we walk away because they didn't live up to our standard of perfection. A.W. Pink says, Can one who has been brought into a vital reunion with him, who is the bread of life, be found still hungering and thirsting? <clears throat> yes, such is the experience of the renewed heart. That's the experience. Martin Lloyd-Jones made this statement. The Christian is one who at one and the same time is hungering and thirsting, and yet he is filled. And the more he is filled, the more he hungers and thirsts. That is the blessedness of the Christian life, and it goes on and on. He got it right. A.W. Tozer, to, to have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox. Isn't that interesting? To have found him. And still to pursue him. That's the paradox of the soul, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's, 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 it's the people who say, you know, hey, I made that decision 25 years ago to follow Jesus. And that, that's, I made the decision. And, and ever since then, there's been no hunger. There's been no thirst. That's the person that, that, that concerns me. There, there ought to be, I don't know, I think, there, I think the, the more we're hungry and thirst. The, the, the more there ought to be a growing disgust for our own sin and, and, a, and a growing desire to become more like Jesus. And, and so what we have to understand is, yes, we were justified and there's a sanctification, there's a sanctifying work going on, but you won't reach perfection on this earth. Okay, you, you won't. And so the last word is glorification being fully restored. Glorification will occur when we're taken up to God's presence and we're taken away from this fallen and this broken world in which we live. And, and I think it's, it seems to be more and more broken with every passing day. It's like, oh my gosh, how much more broken can this world get? And, and so that's going to happen either at our death or when Jesus returns, whichever happens first. Romans chapter 8, verse 30 gives us a kind of a brief order of this, of this process. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Isn't that good to know? You see, there was a time when you were justified. You were made right with God because of Jesus. Now you're in the sanctifying process 
but the day is coming when you will be glorified. And, and when we are glorified, we will not only be free from the penalty and the power of sin, we'll also be free from the presence of sin. And all of its effect on us and all of its effects on the universe will be removed. Revelation 7, verse 16 to 17, never again will they hunger. The blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst physically. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will beat down on them, nor any scorching heat will not be down, nor the scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Jeremiah, in thinking of the last days, he, um, he says the people of God will give Jesus this name, Jeremiah 23, 6, the Lord, our righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, relentless pursuit of him. And so let me just ask you a question. Do you hunger and do you thirst? If, if, there's, if, there's, if something in this message is stirring something in you, then thank God because that's a sign of life. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, I can't wait till all this is over so I can get out of here. And, and then, then I'm concerned. I'm, just, I'm concerned. And so just ask yourself, is there anything, is there just a glimpse of anything in you like the heart of David? My soul pants for you, God. I want to know you more. My soul pants for you like a deer. Or is, is there any glimpse of anything in you that would be like Paul where he says, God, I want to know you. Jesus, I want to know you. And the power of your resurrection. Ask yourself, do I have this desire for righteousness? Do I have this all-consuming passion is holiness, is Jesus a quest? Is it a passion for my life? Ask yourself. Because today I invite you to come to Jesus, to pursue him. Isaiah 55, 1 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Jesus. Because only he can satisfy. Let me close with this prayer by A.W. Tozer. I'm going to ask if you'd bow your head. All of you at our campuses, bow your head just as I read this prayer. It's a cry for holiness. Oh God, I have tasted your goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me your glory, I pray, that I may know you indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, and come away. Then give me the grace to rise and to follow you, to follow up, to, to follow you from this misty lowland where I have been wandering for so long. In Jesus' name. Amen. Today, if, if you've never given your life to Jesus, he's inviting you to step across the line of faith and to humble yourself because it's only Jesus that can satisfy the longing of your soul. 
Some of you here today, you've chose to follow Jesus a long time ago. But if you would be honest, you'd have to say, my heart's grown really cold and it's hard. And it's been a long time since I've really hungered for him. Well, listen, if you're thinking that, if you're feeling that, can I say again, you're in a good place. You're in a good place. I'm going to ask you if you'd bow your head. And for those of you who want to surrender your heart to Jesus, would you pray this prayer with me? Father in heaven, today I surrender my heart to you. I thank you for Jesus. And Jesus, I acknowledge that you are my righteousness. Create in me a hunger and a thirst for more of you. I choose to follow you today. I pray this in your name. Amen.